Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sweet Empowerment Podcast. I am really super excited to have my next guest, Dr. Kate Lund, joined me because we talked probably about three or four weeks ago. I was on her podcast, and I immediately vibed with her energy. I can spot someone that is doing some really beautiful work in the world, and she was one of those people, and I immediately said, can I have you on my podcast? I want to first read you a little bit about Dr. Kate's background. And uh, so we can get started on this podcast, and then I will introduce her to all of you. Dr. Kate Lund is a licensed clinical psychologist, peak performance coach, best-selling author, and TEDx speaker. With a specialized training in medical psychology, she uses a strength and evidence-based approach to help parents and children build resilience so they can thrive in school, sports, and life. During Dr. Kate's childhood, She faced and eventually overcame a childhood illness, so she learned at an early age to believe in the possibilities that exist on the other side of challenges. Oh, that gave me chills and it made my eyes tear up. Welcome, Dr. Kate. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes. So I just want to jump right in and ask you to start right from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about the event in your childhood that helped you build this resilience. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when I was four, I was diagnosed with a condition called hydrocephalus, which essentially means that the cerebral spinal fluid isn't circulating as it should and pressure builds up on your brain. So as a four-year-old, you know, and this can happen to you at any age, but, you know, I was four and as a four-year-old, what that meant is, you know, I was throwing up randomly and uncontrollably oftentimes in the middle of the night because of pressure differentials. I was dizzy. I had horrible headaches And I wasn't really able to articulate fully at four what was going on. I was just sick and not feeling well. And it was really hard for my parents and my parents to figure out, along with the doctors, obviously, what exactly was going on because it was kind of intermittent at first. And finally, the hydrocephalus was diagnosed. And the good thing about hydrocephalus is that it can be managed with something called a shunt, which is essentially a pump or tube that's inserted in your, your brain and it circulates the spinal fluid for you. Problem is shunts break, particularly in childhood. So what this meant was a lot of time in and out of the hospital, a lot of time coming back to school, looking different, feeling different, having to catch up when catching up was hard, that kind of thing. So, you know, it was hard. It was really, really hard. The positive in it was that I had a lot of support, a lot of really good support. My parents my teachers, parents of friends, they really helped me to focus on what I could do as opposed to what I couldn't do. And that really helped me make up the gaps, right? They helped me to see myself as the child I was, as opposed to a sick kid sitting on the sidelines. Because when my shunt was working, I really wasn't sick. I was well, you know, it just so happened that when the shunt broke, then I wasn't well and it had to be fixed. It was a lot of up and down and back and forth from that perspective. And that really is the catalyst for what I think spiked my interest, sparked my interest in this idea of resilience, brought me to the point of becoming a a psychologist and really has been at the foundation of my work in my mind. I don't share this with people I work with, Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, a foundation in my mind for the work that I do and has really, I think, helped me to connect with people, those I work with, those I, you know, just have in my life on a really human level, an authentic level. 
Yes. Wow. I understand that completely. It's interesting to me, the more people I talk to through life, that I see that there's something that started to present in childhood and it just kind of can organically turn into our life's work because there's there's more there's a passion behind it. It's just not a, hey, I think that sounds like a good idea to go be that person. Right. Yeah. There's a, re- a real passion, sort of a real human connection mm-hmm. within it that can draw folks in and certainly did draw me in. Yes. Just real quick for my own curiosity, because you said this started at four, but you were talking about being in school. Was this a years and years process type thing? And like, when did the stunt come out? Stint or stunt? Uh, it's called a shunt. Shunt. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. And actually, to be honest, I still have it. Uh, oh, so it never, it never comes out. That's just kind of the way it is. So this was process. I mean, it, it went on through my adolescence, through my early adulthood and we're, we're good. Hopefully now knock on wood. You are, um, we're declaring it. So and we're declaring it. So, but yeah, this is not something that, that really goes away in childhood. This oh. is yeah. Interesting. I have a little bit of a knowledge, a tiny, tiny bit of knowledge because one of my neighbor's children on at one of my houses had this. And I remember them talking about it and just kind of watching it from afar, right? Of, you know, what they were doing. The child looked fine and healthy. And I really didn't understand what was happening, but mm-hmm. this is really good information. It kind of reminds me of that and, and how dedicated those parents were as well. And that child was thriving and is still thriving to this day. Absolutely. So, and that's, that's what it's all about. Right. And that's the hope. That's the hope that, that it goes in that direction for sure. Because yeah, when my shunt was working, I was on the tennis court, I was wow. playing competitive tennis. I was, you know, doing well in school And that's another thing, you know, my parents really saw me as that kid that I was and what I was able to do as opposed to seeing me based on my challenges and my limitations, which definitely had to be managed and managed through and addressed. Of course they do. But on the other side of that coin, there's always so much more. And to really focus on those things as well is so important. I want to talk to you about two things. One, I want to talk to you about the emotions and feelings of children, but also of the parents, because We know as parents watching our children go through something can be just hell on earth. It's so hard for a parent to watch their child struggling because when they come into this world, we want all the greatest things, all the rainbows and butterflies for our babies. And when they run up against certain obstacles in their life, you know, man, as a parent, we really have to get our act together to be able to show up for them. So first let's dive into the feelings of a child and I know this will translate into your work now as grown professional in that, but the feelings that we run across when there is something that is happening, that's challenging in our life. I know Mm -hmm. some of the feelings are, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. I can't do this. It'll never get better. Is this the type of feelings that you felt or that the people you work with and help, do they run across those type of things? And if yes, how do you help them move through those type of things? Absolutely. You know, those are very common feelings, particularly when there's a challenge of any sort, but particularly a challenge which really makes the child feel set apart from their peers. It's a hard, hard reality. And it's definitely something that I experienced, like when I was coming back to school, looking different, half a head of hair, and just really feeling set apart. For me, I think the support that I was getting on the outside sort of to focus on the things I could do as opposed to the things I couldn't do helped me to slowly but surely move back into the mix mm-hmm. and move forward. 
I learned also though, and I think this is really important for, for kids who are struggling on any level and with a challenge, medical, physical, or otherwise, to really appreciate their own unique context, Ooh. not to be comparing themselves with their peers, not to be thinking, well, I've got to be like them, but rather to really appreciate who they are within their own unique context. And that's what I help the kids I work with to do. I help the parents to see their children in that way, to really focus on the strengths that exist within their child's context, despite the challenge. And I think that's the really important thing to internalize over time. And it's a process, you know, there's no one size fits all. There's no button we can push. There's no equation we can run to make this happen. It's more a process that has to unfold through a human relationship. So that's a therapist or a parent or a teacher helping the children, helping the child to see well, what is possible for me despite this challenge, despite this really hard thing. That I think is is the key. Are all those people together, the whole it takes a village Mm -hmm. Right. I love that. I love that. I love that people can, that it doesn't have to be all on one person does because that can happen where the parents aren't doing anything. It's all in the therapist right? or, you know, or it's all in the school teachers. Like this can happen, but it sounds like you had such a nice rounded thing. And the word I wrote down while you were talking, Dr. Kate was comparison. Mm, We know we, gosh, my gosh, as humans, we're so wired to look outside and say, he has that, she has that they're better at this using the words, your own unique context. Now I have not heard it said like that, but this is something that I did with my children and they thanked me for later. I still have one that's 17, but the two that are grown nearing their Mm thirties, they both have said to me, thank you for not trying to make us into someone else. Thank you for celebrating who we are as individuals and really exemplifying our strengths. You know, my daughter is very outspoken and she's the one that that sounds good. I'm going to jump without thinking about it. And my son, the one right after him, 19 months apart, is very introspective. So right. he sits and has to ponder and ponder. And neither neither one of them are wrong. Neither one of them are right. Right. It's about letting ju- them just be who they are. But before we get too far off that, I want to go back to talking about parents, like what they can do, not only now the challenge of dealing with a child with some type of challenge, mental, emotional, physical, whatever I'm be. But also the children that don't have the challenges, the real big ones, there's still challenges. This is a whole thing. Of course. <laughs> this is a whole thing. Right. Of course, because none of us are immune to challenge, right? Challenge is everywhere. And so regardless of whether it's a medical challenge, physical challenge, kids will have challenge regardless. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up in some form. Absolutely. That's a really good point. So how can parents show up effectively? Because I know for me as a parent, and I talked about this briefly on your, when I was on your podcast, that I had to work on me to be an effective parent. So do you have any words of advice that you could share with parents that are just dealing with children in general or children with a certain type of challenge, like real medical challenge or something? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it really comes down and this is, you know, again, easier said than done, but caring for ourselves as parents, because I'm living this right now myself with 15 year old twin boys and lots of ups and downs within that context. They hit challenges and I'm not always the best at managing that challenge in my mind. I'm not 
overt with them. You know, I really want to kind of keep things modulated around them, but definitely will feel the stress when they're struggling. And so what it comes down to is knowing what our go-tos are as parents to care for ourselves. And what I always recommend and what's so important is this idea of finding some way each day to modulate your stress response Mm. so that you're not starting in an escalated place when a challenge hits such that you're going to escalate even more to the point of shutdown. You want to really be keeping things from a stress response perspective, even day in, day out. Again, easier said than done, but really consistently practicing some sort of a technique or way or thing that you do in your life day to day that you know will help you sort of quiet your mind and bring that that foundational stress response down. You know, mindfulness, meditation, it can be exercise, it can be sitting on the porch with a cup of coffee, you know, just something to quiet your mind each day consistently so that you're in a position to better manage through a stressor or a challenge when it hits. It's that putting your oxygen mask on first situation. Yes. We got to, yes. we got to take care of ourselves. And for me, I know that for sure. I did a lot of my parenting with single parenting mm-hmm. and there was, there's times when they're too young and you really can't break away from them. But boy, right. when they went to bed, that was me. And I had to yes. reset, reconfigure, do whatever I needed to do. I remember I took a lot of baths mm-hmm. during that time. It was like, they went in bed and I got in the bathtub and I just deep breathed, <laughs> you know, and decompressed. Yes, absolutely. That's excellent. That's spot on because exactly what you want to be doing. Got to care for ourselves as parents if we're going to be able to show up for our kids, particularly when there's a challenge involved. Yes, yes. So you brought up the word mindfulness. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about mindfulness because there's so many words that are thrown around in the world today, but Mm -hmm. does anybody really sit down and look up the definition and say, what exactly is mindfulness? Like I have my idea what that is, but I would love to hear what your definition or thoughts around mindfulness is. Absolutely. And it really comes back to being mindful or focused on what's happening around you, kind of being able to take that step back and observe as opposed to reacting to everything. Being mindful really allows us to respond as opposed to react because Mm -hmm. it helps us to manage our stress response consistently in an in and in an even way you know really is that ability to take a step back and gain a perspective on what's happening around you because when we're reacting all the time that takes energy that takes an emotional toll and that's not as we know an effective strategy and not a sustainable strategy well and i have found when i react i am adding fuel to the fire Mm-hmm. Rather than if I slow down and just ground myself into what's really happening here, rather than letting my emotion take over, which might promote me to say or do something that I would later wish I hadn't. For me, it was really slowing down and saying, what's really happening here? Would you consider that what's called mindfulness? Like what's really going on? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely practicing mindfulness. The title of this episode is how to effectively manage emotions 
to maximize potential. There's so many delicious words in that title. I love effectively <laughs> and I love yes. manage and I love emotions and maximize and potential. So let's talk about what are some tools and techniques that we can learn to effectively manage our emotions? Because a lot of times we, people think, I think as humans, we think this emotion comes in, which is mm -hmm. really, it's a chemical response to a thought. This emotion comes in, we feel it, and we think this is the end all be all, and we have to act on this thing. Speak about that a little bit, Dr. Kate. Right. Well, so the first thing we want to remember is that we're not our emotions. We're just not our emotions. But, you know, we, we've already kind of touched on this really important piece of managing our stress response. And yeah. that is at the foundation, at the core of our ability to manage our emotions in an effective way, which will then help us to tolerate the frustrations that come about regardless of the of the cause of the of the frustration it will also help us to move through and beyond those challenges that will come about because as we know none of us are immune to challenge but then sort of building out from that foundational managing of the stress response we want to be taking care particularly as parents that we're focusing on our social connections that we're finding ways to engage in things that bring us joy. We're finding ways to practice gratitude. Mm. We're spending time out in nature. We're exercising. We know from all the research as well as from the anecdotal evidence out there that exercise and physical activity, some of the most powerful things we can do to manage mood state, manage our emotion, tolerate the frustration, and just be at our best. And if we're doing all of these things in a way that makes sense for us, again, within our own unique context, because all of these different techniques and tools aren't going to fit for every person. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of finding that constellation of tools and techniques that works for you. Putting those together will help you, will sit you up in the best way possible to move towards your potential so that you can thrive in whatever it is you're doing. That's so beautifully said. And I love that you said finding your constellation. That's so, <laughs> that's so fun. <laughs> you mentioned some of my favorite things, which is gratitude. First of all, gratitude. Yes. I believe that gratitude is the highest vibrational energy that we can possibly be in is gratitude and appreciation and being in the present moment, which is just the now moment where we're not in the past and we're not in the future. And those two things have really been paramount in me staying calm. And, and it's not, I didn't start doing it to stay calm. Mm -hmm. I found this practice myself through when I had went through a really difficult time and I was a nervous wreck. That's, that is, that puts it lightly. And I just needed to get calm. So I was deeply breathing and I was doing these things, but what happened magically on the other side of that, and I was hiking, yeah. I was grounding, I was doing all these things. Right. I was getting very present, but what magically happened is it was like this whole other arena of energy opened up around me. It's mm -hmm. very difficult to describe. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, where I was in this little bubble in this ball by doing right. these things, I expanded, my energy expanded, my mind opened, my heart opened, and I was better able to receive more information that could help guide me more effectively than had I stayed in this little constricted, 
you know, I think of a burr, like a little constricted burr with pokes on it, you know, that it was it, this little ball I was in. Yeah. And I think that really, you really demonstrated through that experience, the power of our ability to sort of the power in our ability to quiet our minds and what can happen when we do those things. And when we intentionally plug in the strategies and the tools to care for ourselves in an optimal way, because it, it, what, what we like to see happen happened with you. You know, we expand, we create space, we move beyond that place of being stuck so that we can eventually move forward in the direction that we're meant to go. And so the experience that you just shared illustrates that point beautifully. It was something I I did out of necessity Mm. that ended up being one of my most favorite things. And I've learned over time because I have now felt what it feels like to be in that space, there is a contrast now to that other space of uh, frenetic all the time and, and lots of emotions and, and highs and lows and all of these things. Once I had that polarization that I could go, oh my gosh. So now yeah. when I touch into that frenetic space, I notice immediately. It's yes. like, wow, this doesn't feel good because now my my new normal has become the calm. Yes. I love that. I love that. And you really have an awareness, a built-in awareness that you've internalized of what it feels like to be out of that space, Yeah, which is so powerful. So let's talk about resilience because it's such a great word. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they, and I'm going to screw this up because I don't paraphrase well at all, but it was something like resilience is within all of us, it's just a matter of whether we tap into it or not. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that, you know, because we all have inner strength, we all have that ability to move through and beyond challenge, particularly when we need to. But not everybody recognizes that within Mm -hmm. themselves. And so, you know, there's a dispositional component to resilience some folks are just more apt to be in that space of thinking, okay, I can persevere. I can overcome that challenge. Others have to sort of move in that direction over time through learning, conversation, connection, that sort of thing. But ultimately resilience at a foundational level is this ability to move through and beyond challenge. But the the key point is, and we've already kind of touched on it, We all do that in our own way, within our own unique context. And some at a foundational level are more poised to do that from the get-go than others. Some need a little bit more building time before they feel like, okay, I can manage through this. I can handle this, that kind of a thing. But once folks have come through and beyond a challenge, that will build their internal sense of being resilient in their minds. I was going to ask you that. That was going to be my next question is, do we, does it build on itself? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's this idea that we can liken it to this idea of being held back by fear, not wanting to take that first step forward because we're afraid. But then once we push ourselves out of our comfort zone, we move in that direction of the fear and maybe through and beyond the fear. Next time, it's not going to be as hard. 
So it's the same thing with resilience. You know, we do something that's hard. We move through and beyond that challenge. And then all of a sudden we start seeing ourselves as more capable of managing through the next challenge. We see ourselves as more resilient. (laughs) This reminds me of a story, a short one. After I went through this decades of painful and lopsided relationships, and then I had my tsunami when I was in this state of anxiety and depression and fear and all the things that I had just spoken about. Mm-hmm. And then I did my healing work and I I had what I called the College of Kristen two years that I took off. Didn't know it was going to be two years, but that's what I called it. Yeah. And on the other side of this, I remember thinking about dating and I was like, okay, this is might be an option now. And I remember that little fear coming in. And saying, oh, but what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? And I remember my response was, I got a PhD in pain. I can handle, I can handle if something happens. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking now that's resilience. I was like, yeah, you know, I've been through it. I can handle if something else happens. Mm -hmm. Did I want to have something else happen? No, but I had this mechanism inside of me that said, push through that fear. Yes you can do this. You've done it before. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that's going to happen if someone breaks your heart again? You're not going to die. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's, that's resilience. That's internalized resilience, you know, that you're using to build. Do you think people, some kids that grew up in some very unfortunately abusive or toxic households build up some natural resilience Yes, it's it's very, very possible. It's very, very likely. It doesn't happen for all, okay. but for many it does. And we don't exactly know why some come out of situations like that, extremely resilient, poised to move forward, hit goals, and some don't. It's a mix for sure, but absolutely that can that kind of an early experience can certainly foster resilience. Wow. This is making me think of one day, one of my girlfriends said to me, she said, you don't, you're never scared. Like you never act like you're scared. And I was like, I'm scared all day, every day. You know, I, <laughs> and she goes, well, then you must be very courageous. This was about 10 years ago. And I sat on that for like a while as I mm-hmm. contemplate, I'm courageous, I'm courageous. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I kind of am, mm-hmm. I, I am, yeah. I will do the thing. Yes. But I asked myself why. And I believe it's because I grew up in a household with four brothers in a neighborhood full of boys. Mm-hmm. And they were going to go do something that would appear scary to me. Like we're going to go ride our bikes at dar- in the dark or go play ditch them in the dark or mm-hmm. just do something that would appear scary. I don't mean like it was unlawful. Right. And if I thought about it, mm-hmm. it would leave and they'd be gone before I came up with a conclusion. So I had to learn to take that step. Like they say, you want to go? Yes. Right. Because- if I didn't, then I was left behind. So right. is that an example of how we can naturally form that? I've always thought that in my head, that's how that happened. But does that sound accurate? Yeah, that sounds right about accurate. You know, you you were desensitizing to the fear in the moment because you didn't want to miss out. That's a great way to say it, desensitizing to the fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've, or feeling it anyway, because I was like, well, you know, I, again, asking ourselves question, what's really the worst that can happen here? Like I always t- tell myself to this day before I wrote my first blog ever, my first podcast ever, I said, is anybody going to lose a limb or die because I send this blog? Like right. it has to be that in my face 
to work past the fears, like the worst case scenario, my kid's going to be taken from me because I send this blog. And if the answer is no, I hit send and I go, yeah. okay. And I just right. have to sit with it and nothing ever happened. Right. And was the fear, do you feel how folks were going to respond to the blog or the, the post or was that? Oh yeah. How I was going to be seen. Yeah. Whatever it is. And so do you have any words for anybody who, because I feel like a lot of people, Dr. Kate, I feel like we're all born with some beautiful brilliance and gifts and cool mm -hmm. stuff. People are so afraid to share it because how they might be seen or they have a fear of failure. I wanted to touch on the fear of failure. Could you explain maybe what the fear of failure actually really is and how to either work with it? Or I'm not sure if we ever overcome it or if we just learn to manage it. Well, yeah. So the fear of failure, I mean, that's huge, right? Because I actually believe quite strongly that failure is one of our biggest catalysts for success, particularly for our kids. Ooh, juicy. Tell us. This idea of being able to have things not work out the first time out of the gate, because that's a pretty common experience. And as parents to help normalize that experience for our kids, help them get back up, problem solve, and try that same thing from another angle until they succeed. Try and try again. Real value in that. And I think, I think for me, that idea was crystallized as a kid because rarely did I win. You know, I said I played tennis and I did. I played competitive tennis, particularly it was the sport that I gravitated towards because I really loved it, but it was also safe with my hydrocephalus. So oh, yeah. it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a contact sport and it was safe, right? So I could, I could do that. So I was pretty good, but I was not the best. And I was okay with that, you know, because I was doing the best I could within my own unique context. And I think that's the point. If a kid is poised to win and be the best, awesome. That wasn't me, right? I was, I have a lot of runner-up trophies and, and that was fine. You know, yeah. I was like, that was the best I could do. I knew I couldn't beat those top people and that was okay. There's still some of my best friends to this day, right? And so it didn't oh. matter. Uh, yeah, super, super good part of my life was whole, the whole tennis thing. I think that's a really important piece to teach our kids. There are kids who are going to be at the top and that's cool. But if you're not, that's cool too. As long as you're doing your very best within your own unique context. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're getting up and trying again, if you don't succeed the first time out of the gate, as long as you're desensitizing to that idea of, oh no, I can't do that because I might fail. No, no, no. The reason you should do it is because you might fail. So you can learn from that. You can use that as an opportunity to move forward. And it's much easier said than done, right? There's not, again, a one size fits all for this. There's not a button we can push, an equation we can run to make this happen. But it's sort of an experiential process that has to unfold for our kids with our guidance as parents, the guidance of teachers, the guidance of coaches, that sort of thing. Ultimately, I really do believe that if we help our kids to persevere, if we help them to keep pushing forward, they're gonna realize success of some sort within their own unique context. Yes. You know, what's interesting. I never used the word failure in my life. It wasn't even in my vocabulary. I just, right. and not for any reason, 
There's right. no reason. Sure. Until I started this business and I was going to like marketing things and trying to build my business and take all these classes. And then they kept saying to me, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. And I was like, what, what do you mean I'm going to fail? What are you talking about? Because the way I translated what I see, they see as failure. Mm -hmm. I translated as that didn't work. Let me try something else. Right. I just right. didn't see it as failure. So I still don't use that word failure. And even as you're talking, right, you'll agree that you may not have been the top tier gold medal in the whatever, but you didn't fail. Exactly. You were still playing freaking tennis with the big exactly. dogs. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And that's a huge point. And I also don't love the word failure and I, I rarely use it, but yeah. you know, in these contexts, you know, whatever, but it's, it's sort of this idea of not succeeding the first time out of the gate or what have you, right? It doesn't mean it's failure. It just means that you didn't hit your goal the first time out of the gate. And there's a way around that, right? I really do believe that we don't have to win to succeed. You know, I know there are a lot of folks out there who who believe that, you know, second place is just as good as losing. I don't believe that. I believe that if second place is the best that you're going to do within your own unique context, awesome. If it's third place or fourth place, awesome. You're out there. You're doing it. You're making it happen. And that's the piece that I think is so important to reinforce for our kids. And I, I've got an example that I can share. Please, I, yes. I, I mentioned my 15-year-old twins. They're both rowing this season. And one of them has been doing it for a couple of years and is very, very good. The other one just started this season and he's he's good, but you know he's not at the same levels as his brother. And that's totally fine. And we're really happy that he's not competing with his brother. You know, he's actually, yes. and I think it's because I kind of am like a broken record record player on these topics with him because he's always struggled a little bit with sports and stuff like that relative to his brother mm -hmm. relative to the bigger world out there he's fine it's just within the context of his twin yep. which makes it a little bit more intense had a big regatta this past weekend one of the boys was on a boat that won their division they're actually gonna be going on to the next round of races the other one didn't actually win, but within his mind, it was a huge win because he did better than he did in the in the last regatta. And the fact that he can see that is oh. really powerful. And he came back so happy with his own performance, as well as with the ability to celebrate and be excited about his brother's performance and really support him. So I feel like it's a pretty good example of oh. Yes. really capitalizing on your own strengths and skills within your own context. And don't get me wrong. He's, he's got goals for next year. He's got plans for how he's going to build and improve, but you know, he realizes he's been doing this for a couple of years, less than his brother has. And, you know, they're just in different places, but relative to his own experience, he's able to see how far he can, has come this season and it's, it's amazing. So it's, it's really yes. exciting. And I'm really, actually, I'm really excited for both boys on this front. Me uh, too. Because they're sort of maximizing within their own unique contexts. Oh my gosh. So I was a natural gymnast. I always wanted to be a gymnast. Always, always, always when I was little. 
And my parents didn't sign me up for whatever reason until I was like 14, 13 or 14. That's mm. old to for start gym, gymnastics. Yeah. Okay. And I'm strung pretty tightly. So we're talking like, I'm not like that natural limber person. Like I had to work hard for my, my stretching and my splits and my stuff. Yeah. But I was in it for one year, one year. And I got third in Arizona state in my class. Awesome. In one, and I was like, third was, that was as good as first to me. I'm like, this yeah. is unreal that I even got third right? in one year in yes. my class. I don't need first. I walk around like that third is first. I'm like, I got third in Arizona state class four gymnastics, you know, <laughs> it's awesome. Yes. It was the lowest level, right? It was class four. Cause I think it goes up to one. It was the lowest level, but in one year I was it actually was even maybe a summer. I don't even know. It wasn't very long that I was able to get that. And I also believe Dr. Kate, that something that I stress a lot in my work and my teachings and those type of things too, is to celebrate every little win. Mm -hmm. I don't care what that win is. The fact that you chose to have juice rather than soda today, mm -hmm. whatever it might be, celebrate those wins, because I believe that builds resiliency because we start to believe in ourselves, even with the teeny tiny, small stuff. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that really goes along with this idea of focusing on the things that did go well on a given day, as opposed to all of the would'ves, could'ves, should'ves, and things that you feel should have gone better. Mm -hmm. And that really helps us to move forward and, and move through and beyond challenge. And it really relates to that idea of celebrating the wins, celebrating the small things, you know, because that's, that's, there's power in that. And as human nature kind of pushes us oftentimes in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not helpful. No, gosh, no. I want to just back up just a bit to, I wrote down this, these, these words, I wrote fun is in the building. Cause that was as fast as it came out of my head. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if I think about a sport like gymnastics or something, mm -hmm. it's, if we woke up one day and became a gymnast and was great from the go, mm -hmm. the, the best person from the go. And we got all the awards. Is there really a lot of fun in that? To so... me, to me, it was in the getting better at it that right. I was enjoying it. Well, that's a really good point. And I've seen that play out time and time again. And I really believe that when things come too easily, when you're winning everything from the get-go, it lacks a certain sense of meaning. Exactly. The fun is getting in the, is getting better. The fun is in the getting better. The fun is, you know, coming in third in one tournament and then getting runner up in the next. It's hitting those goals one at a time. But if all the goals are met with really out without trying, it's going to lose a little bit of meaning. And then the trying oftentimes will decrease. You know, if, if things come too easily to kids out of the gate, what's the point of trying? And then I'll tell you what will happen. Those kids who are scrambling, those kids who are really working hard will keep working hard. You know, maybe they're overcompensating initially, but then their hard work is just their baseline. And then they're going to start winning. They're going to be the ones who move ahead. So, yeah, I think it's not a great thing when things come too easily. It's the tortoise and the hare right? Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> the whole tortoise in the hair, the hair is like, pew, 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 and then sits and can, can slack. And then the tortoise ends up beating the hair. Yeah. That's right. so great. That's so great. If you have 
somebody who, because what is the name of your podcast again? I don't want to get it wrong. Oh, sure. It's the optimized mind. Okay. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to get it wrong. The optimized mind, which is such a powerful, powerful name. Like that was so well thought out, the optimized mind. And one of the things in optimizing our mind is really, to me, it's learning to dip into negative or limiting beliefs about self. Do yes. you have any recommendations or practices? Because I know for me, I can get into those little slumps. I have my own practices now and I can get out of them faster mm -hmm. than I ever could before. Sometimes just that monkey brain, that nasty ego talking to us, telling us that we suck. What can someone do if they find themselves in a space of I suckness and they really don't know how to get themselves out of it? so, so hard, right? And it's human nature. It's like all the things that are going wrong, we're going to focus on those and then we're going to be stuck. So a couple things, you know, it's this idea. And I know that, that this sounds like a broken record, but of quieting our minds, of creating that space so that we can see our reality, see where we are with a little bit more perspective. So that's, that's one thing. So practicing mm -hmm. some way of quieting our minds each day. Again, getting out, exercising, that will, will, will really help us to sort of create space and clear our heads. And then jotting down three to five things at the end of each day that did go well, as opposed to just focusing on the things that didn't go well. And that will also sort of create some space, create some perspective for us to perhaps move beyond the stuck or at least see where we are from a different angle which will then help us move forward. Yes. Dr. Joe Dispenza is famous for saying where attention goes, energy flows. Mm -hmm. Yes. And for me, just bringing that into my mind and going, okay, what am I actually focusing on? And I sometimes don't notice what I'm focusing on because it's so subconscious right. until I feel like crap. Right. Until I feel depressed, until I feel like yeah. I can't do anything. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, bro, where's your brain been? <laughs> <laughs> Got to take that and, step back. Got to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And it, so my emotions are what alert me to I'm thinking yucky thoughts. And then I'll mm -hmm. stop and I'll say, okay, what have I been focusing on? Sometimes I'm astounded at what has right. passed through my brain unrecognized. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for the fact that I can can I can now course correct that. I can go back yes. and say, okay, you were thinking this. And I often ask myself, is it true? Is mm -hmm. it true? Whatever yeah. the question is. And if it's not absolutely factual truth, thank God for my logic. Mm -hmm. Because my logic will say, that's ridiculous, Kristen. Are you kidding me? Yes, precisely. Right. And that's a really great skill to have, to be able to tune into that and actually shift gears. So that's that's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad that that works. Yes. So, well. so Dr. Kate, we're coming near the end here of our episode together, which was just beautiful and brilliant. And there's so much, so many nuggets in here. And I will tell you this before we sign off. I know you guys, it seems like a broken record when, when I'm going to say we, because mm -hmm. they'll hear it. They hear it from me all the time. Meditation, grounding, rooting, calming right. the brain, slowing this junk down. There yes. is something that it would not be as huge in the world as it is if it wasn't beneficial. Right. Lot of power in that so much. Yeah. I mean, and try different things. There's not one size fits all. I've done all kinds of different things. I heard the word yoga nidra yesterday 
And I was like, oh, what the heck is no yoga nidra? I look it up and I'm like, I've been doing yoga nidra for 10 years. I didn't know what it was. I never knew it had a name. And that's just a meditation practice to everybody. But in closing, Dr. Kate, is there anything that, like if there was one thing that maybe even a couple things, whatever comes to your mind, just let it flow. Some things that you learned in your life that you're like, man, if I could drag this behind the blimp in the sky and so that people... (laughs) People knew this or skywrite it. Just one thing that you want to stand on the rooftop and shout to people or two things, whatever comes to mind, what would you like people to know? So yeah, two things. So really the first is to appreciate your own context and don't be comparing yourselves to others. And then to always focus on the possibility on the other side of the challenge, both for yourself as well as for your kids. Mm. focus on the possibilities on the other side of the challenge. Can you expand that a little bit? We're all going to hit challenge. Challenge is inevitable. And challenge at points can shut us down. But we always want to hold on to that notion that once we figure out how to move through and beyond that challenge, there's a ton of possibility on the other side. And we never want to lose sight of that, even though in moments it feels easy to lose sight of it because maybe the challenge feels so big or, you know, we're just not in the space to figure out how to move through and beyond it in that moment. But Mm -hmm. I promise you, there's always possibility on the other side of that challenge. Oh gosh. I love that so much. One of the things I say to myself is what are you supposed to be learning here? Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to be learning here? (laughs) Yes. If there's a challenge as an opportunity. Oh, challenge is an opportunity. You have three more seconds to tell us about that. Well, you know, it's just that idea that more times than not, or I would argue always, there's something to be learned from a challenge. There's something from to be learned from moving through and beyond that challenge and ending up on the other side. And it grows us and I feel it up levels us. And, and, and that's where that maximum potential that is in this title comes from is those that up leveling, we are actually heading towards our maximum potential. Dr. Kate, I just want to thank you so much from my heart for being with us today and sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your heart with everybody in my community. How can people get a hold of you? Like, what are you out there doing and can they hire you? How does this work in your business? Sure. Well, so my website is www.katelundspeaks.com. They can find out more information. Basically right now I'm doing mostly speaking engagements, a little bit of coaching, but mostly speaking got a book out there, Bounce, Help Your Child Build Resilience and Thrive in School, Sports, and Life. What a great and, title. And that's a that's a fun one for folks to take a look at if they'd like. I'm also very active on LinkedIn and happy to connect with folks there also. And can they find all of these things via your website, katelundspeaks.com? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Dr. Kate, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it as well. I hope you all enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And if you did, I would sure appreciate it if you jumped over to iTunes and left me a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to share it with someone that you love. Until next time, everyone, remember, you matter.